Welcome to All the Social Ladies, a podcast bringing you candid conversations with the boldest women in digital marketing. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media, and let's get into the show. You guys are in for a treat today. I am talking to Bobby Rebel, who is the author of How to Be a Financial Grown-Up, proven advice from high achievers on how to live your dreams and have financial freedom. But not only is she the author of that incredible book, she hosts a killer podcast, and she's going to tell you all about how she grew that audience using social media. Take a listen. Welcome, Bobby, to the show. Hey, Carrie. I'm so happy to have you on, and I absolutely have been loving your podcast. It's amazing. And it featured you, of course. Of course. I just loved all of the practical insights that you gained through storytelling, and it's just, it's it's really, it's a fabulous show, and what you've done to promote it is really incredible, too. Thank you. I'm excited to talk about that. Before we talk about that, though, I want to hear a little bit more about your career. Can you give me three moments that you think really defined your career and brought you where you are today? First of all, as a journalist, I love this question and I love that you ask it to everyone and I love the different answers you get. So I had a lot of fun thinking about this and pairing it back to three. So number one, overnights as an unpaid intern at CNN. So I was hired big break to be an intern at CNN Business News in the 90s. And because it was unpaid, I guess they hired quite a few interns. And there wasn't a lot to do during the day. You couldn't even get a seat. You were begging people to get experience. And it was sort of a pointless place to be. So I realized pretty quickly in chatting up different people that there was this whole world that went on overnight for the morning shows, the people that were leaving right when I got there. And they were really short staffed. So I thought, hmm, maybe that's a place I can actually do something worthwhile. So I asked the bosses and they agreed to send a car. So I had a car picking me up at about probably two in the morning and I would come in. And by the way, Carrie, it was a very scenic route. Let me tell you, we went, it was ah. in, it was in Penn station and there was all kind of mischief going on to the West of Times Square in New York city in the nineties. So let's just say that. But anyway, <laughs> this guy from CNN would come and pick up me and all the various producers that would work on the morning shows. And I would go in and I would work for them. And I worked for people like Maria Bartiromo, who has since moved on from being a producer to say the yep. least. And Stuart, Stuart Varney was the anchor at the time. He was lovely. Um, and I had a great experience and I actually was able to write stuff that got on the air. So it was worth it. And people thought I was crazy. They're like, you're not even paid. What are you doing? Going in for free at two in the morning, but worth it. Were there other interns in that time slot? Not that I recall. It allowed you to cut through the clutter and actually really do stuff. Yeah. And I left with actual clips of scripts that had gone on the air. And I actually was able to get to know the people. And even though my first job was not at CNN, they weren't hiring at the time. They did serve as great um, references for where I did end up working, which is going to be my next moment. And also, they eventually recruited me back to CNN a couple of years later when they did have openings. So those relationships that I really built were very meaningful. Amazing. Okay. Moment number two, I'm ready. All right. So number two, I wanted to work at CNBC when I got out of school and I was pretty qualified because I had that internship at CNN, as we know, and I could not get past HR. And I knew the person that did the hiring was a woman named Beth Tilson, who later became famous for, for marrying Roger Ailes, actually. But she was the person that was the hiring person. I know that's just a random fact. I just like dropped that out there. I like the fun fact truth bomb right there. That's amazing. Fun, random fact. 
anyway, so I knew that was my target person that I had to get my stuff to and convince to hire me, but I couldn't get past HR. So one day I'm in my hometown, Wyckoff, New Jersey, and I go into the local video store. Now, this is something a lot of people might not know, but before we had DVRs and stuff, you could go to a store and get a physical tape that you would put in a machine to play a movie. So I was in that <laughs> store. It wasn't Blockbuster. It was like a local store. And this um, someone who was my father's peer, he was a neighbor uh, who was an economist at a top, top bank and had been a guest, a frequent guest on CNBC. I ran into him. And by the way, we knew him. He was our neighbor. He had bought the house that I grew up in. We had moved out of it when I was 13. So these are, this is family friends, knew the family. And I said, I explained the situation. You go on CNBC all the time. Will you please, you know, you know who she is. And he said, yeah, I know who she is. I see her all the time. Give her my resume. Maybe she'll take an informational meeting with me. And so of course, what did he say, Carrie? He said, no. So this is why it's a big moment. So I said, okay. I said, no problem. I said, tell you what. I'm going to come and I'm going to drop off my resume and cover letter and maybe you'll change your mind because he lives around the corner. Okay. So I walk over. I mean, I'm like unemployed the summer after graduating college. It's like, you know, July or August, whatever. And all my friends have fancy jobs, by the way, because I went to Penn and all uh, these Wharton people, they're all at like Goldman Sachs. They're in the course. training programs. I'm like unemployed at home. Anyway, yep. so I go to his place and his wife answers the door and I told her what happened. And she just gave me a look and she goes, I'll take care of it. <gasps> yeah. So wait, it gets better. Then within, I want to say a day or two, I get a call from Beth Tilson. So-and-so sings your praises. When can you come in? I have to meet you. Oh my goodness. Yes. And long story short, I did not get a job that day, but I did eventually, she hired me when there was an opening. That yep. is the amazing. Wife. The, the wife. wife turned the neck. Women look out for you. That's right. Ay, ay, ay. Okay, third moment. All right, the third moment. This was a Reuters moment. And I had this idea to write this book, which became How to Be a Financial Grown-Up. Yep. But when you're in a big company, you got to play by their rules. And Reuters yep. was always very good to me. They're a very ethical company. They're run very well. And you got to make sure you're not doing anything that they're not going to be happy with. So before I started writing the book, I wanted to get by it. So I knew the editor-in-chief was a guy named Steve Adler. Hey, Steve, if you hear this, uh, <laughs> great. Steve's wonderful. And I didn't know him well at all. I just, you know, chit chat at the elevator, but I had never worked really directly under him, never had a real conversation with him. I said, I want to ask you some questions. He had just released a book. he had had a couple bestsellers with his wife. He released a new book. And I said, can I set up a meeting? I want to ask you about your book and some ideas I have. So he said, sure. So I set up a meeting with his secretary. I then went, Carrie, I read, he had this new book out. It was about marriage. It's actually a very interesting book, but it was a very Ooh. big book. It was a large book, okay? A large very book large about book. marriage? Yes. It had basically, it was a compilation of stories, poems, haiku, articles, like anything that's ever been written about marriage in like a giant almost dictionary. But it was, it was a lot of work. But anyway, I read the whole thing and made notes the whole thing. I was ready. Of course you did. And I went into the meeting and my goal was, of course, to have him get buy-in for, for my project. But I went in and I asked him a lot of questions about his journey as an author and his wife and how they promoted their book and how they put it together and how they got publishing deals. And I shared with him my ideas. And he was so lovely, Carrie. He loved the idea and he was completely supportive and on board. And in fact, he ended up being the very first person that there were 30 role models in the book. He was number one. And he even made calls on my behalf to get other people in it. And he wow. was such a supporter. And it was so scary to go into him 
but I'm so glad I did because I don't know that it would have happened without that meeting. And even along the way, he would check in with me and he would read the draft and he was so happy for me and so supportive. And also because he was a supporter, it basically also buffered me from some of the pushback that I did get from some peers that weren't that happy that I was doing this project. Sometimes when you go that high up in a company, you do get pushback from peers. Did you find that that happened? I did. I did. Mm, It's hard. But I think the reason you got his support to me in listening to the story is that you asked him. So you were so prepared by reading his book and you asked him so many questions about himself and his journey. And I think that's what people love to do is really share their own experiences and be able to share their own wisdom to be able to help someone. They get really invested when you know that you've taken the time to read their book. That's a big thing. And that's a big thing that I'm sure you do with your show and with your your Facebook watch, which I also love, is the preparation time and taking that time. There's a number of huge authors that I want to invite on my podcast. And I have mutual friends. I know I can get the introduction and I know they're probably likely to do it, but I'm not going to invite them until I've read their book because I don't want to invite them without having that context. I think it's really important to have a bet. Now you get a better interview and you also just feel like they, it feels like you understand them from reading a book. It's like a window into who they are. And it also makes them feel so heard and valued when you really read it. They can tell when you can, when you haven't. They, they can totally can tell. tell. Yes, they absolutely. Can tell. Absolutely. Okay. So next question is about the podcast. So you talked about all of these guests that you can get on your podcast. You launched this. How long ago did you launch this podcast? February. We did a I pilot mean, that sat for a month that we played with. We did five versions of a pilot in January. And the first new episode went, I believe, February 9th. This is unbelievable. But the success that this podcast has had in terms of this short period of time, it's just you. amazing. First of all, tell, tell my listeners about it so that hopefully they go over and, and immediately add it to their podcast list. So I had said I was never going to do a podcast famously. And the reason is because there are a lot of really great ones out there. And I only decided to do one when I came up with a concept that I felt was completely different from any other business or money podcast out there. It's short, first of all, which it's designed so that people can either listen to the 15 minute ish episode or they can binge. So it's flexible for people's time, which I think is an important consideration. It's also consideration for the guest time because I want VIPs like you on the show. And when you say it's a 10 minute interview, that's a much lower ask than an hour. But the key thing about this podcast, Carrie, is that it's original content. So people come to me and they'll say, oh, I'll say, tell me a money story. And we plan in advance, obviously. And they will say the same thing that they say all the time. And I'll say, that's great. I'll weave it into the intro, but tell me something more. What happened And next? you did that with me. You I changed do. the whole story. Yep, I do that. I had a story in the book, and then we thought of a new story that I hadn't shared before. Right. So people know when they listen to Financial Grown Up, they're going to listen to a money story that's going to be compelling, but it's also going to be something that they didn't hear in the 10 other interviews that that person did. Because very often you have people that are, the people that are on podcasts are often on more than one, let's just say. Yep. So they know when they come to Financial Grown Up, it's going to be respectful of their time and it's going to be original content. And it's also very driven towards giving them actionable advice. So the money story is always put in context. I make sure the guest gives them specific things that they can take away from the story that they share. And then we do everyday money tips. And then the most important thing is that to me is that afterwards I talk to the guests, I talk to the audience directly and I'm a certified financial planner as well as a longtime financial journalist. And I give them my take on it. And I give them specific resources. I will say if the guest is talking about how to tell whether, you know, a charity is, is ethical, I will then tell them exactly where they can look that up. 
That is so inspiring. Uh, talk about adding value to an audience. And you've really grown your audience mostly using social media. Tell me a yes. little bit about that. So it's so much fun, Carrie. And I think the big lesson, and I learned this from you, is you need to go with what the channels want. So the reason I ended up doing the videos that you've alluded to is that it became clear that Facebook wants you to do videos. And they want you to do videos that don't look like commercials. They want you to do videos that are entertaining. So I worked back from there. I thought about what will they like, because then you get the best bang for your buck, right? You want to get that one cent. You want to get that 10 relevancy score. That's what I'm going for. And so you I, understood what the yes. networks wanted. You looked, yes. you looked across the networks, you saw what was showing up in your feed, what was showing up in other people's feeds. And you decided to use that knowledge that you'd learned just from observing in order right. to promote the podcast. Is that your world that you would know how to create those? What, what type of tool did you end up using? And were you, were you nervous to start this and put it out there for the first time? I wasn't nervous to put it out there for the first time because I feel that social media goes by so quickly and you can erase it. And I really like the first one I did was with Catherine Minshew from the Muse. Yep. And it, was yep. a huge hit. it was picked up by Business Insider and it quadrupled my numbers that day. It was ridiculous. So I had very early success with it. So that gave me confidence that I was definitely onto something. Do you think the video helped the Business Insider pick up? Maybe. Hmm. Really I don't cool. know. You'd have to ask them. I know their story did really well. That's so awesome. Yeah, I know it did really, really well. And they were very generous um, in writing about the podcast. And I also, you know, you also look at what's not working. You have to be honest with yourself. I love right now the look of big text on yep. my graphics. I just think that's very captivating. But yep. Facebook does not want that. So you right. can put they don't them want too much text content, the but they're not going to run your ad. If you have more than 20% text, it's not going to run. Yep. Or if they run it, they won't push it. So you really have to go with what they want and go with their medium. They get an understanding important. of the networks. And you get that understanding either by reading, experimenting, um, or observing, I think. Yeah. And you see what works. You can see. You can First of all, they have all kinds of split tests and things that you can do. But even just observing. You do one ad this way, one ad that way. And also, you, the other thing I've learned is you can't fight who your audience is. So I, I would love for my show to appeal to your grandparents and to this and that. But the <laughs> truth is, at the end of the day, I skew young. Yeah. And it's really young women. I yes, mean, same. You, just, you can't fight who you are. And that is who I'm appealing to. And the numbers don't lie. And so you become more and more efficient because you can you can um, tailor your ads. Instead of saying, I'm going to reach men and women 18 to 65, you can say, you know what? I'm just going to target women. I'm going to target them in this age group, maybe even 16, even as young as that, to 30 would be a lot. But really, my cluster is even under 26 is yep. where I get the most. Yep. And rather than fight that, there's enough of them out there that you can just focus on them and focus on their interests. And also how amazing that you're impacting that generation around personal finance and an understanding of money, considering we're getting towards the point where women are going to control two thirds of the wealth in this country. It's incredible that you're able to have these conversations with them early. And I think there's a lot more interest and empowerment in young women these days, because even though the student debt crisis is a bad thing, it is creating an awareness very early on yes. that we did yes. not have in other generations. They know yes. what's up. They're very yep. aware. I was speaking with a millennial who I want to say she's late 20s this weekend, and she has an MBA now, and she's newly married, wants to have kids. And I, and I was talking to her about her student debt, and she rolled her eyes. 
when I said, well, when's it going to be paid off? And she, and it's kind of like a rent payment, frankly. And she said, oh, like, I don't know, 2030. Right. I mean, you know, it's like, who wants to be doing that? But then she's got to be saving for her kid's college. It's not, it's just not okay. So they really want to get on top of it and just be in control of their finances and not feel like they have this weight on their shoulders. So there's a much bigger incentive, I think, than we had. So this podcast is relatively new. And I know that, you know, you're not working with a huge team here. You're getting really scrappy. Give me (laughs) some of the tips for how you're doing that. Because you, I mean, from when you look at these videos, you guys, you have to see them. Thank you. you. It's a, it looks like a major, major, big professional deal. Like you've got, it's like you have a whole army behind you. How do you make things appear that way and get scrappy? Any tips for that? Well, first of all, I outsource the things that even though I can do, other people can do faster and more efficiently. So I do have a producer editor who puts everything together and makes sure that the actual podcast gets on the channels it needs to be on. So I was prioritizing where I'm going to put my resources from the startup phase. And I am considering getting a virtual assistant. I will say that because I'm (laughs) scrappy, but scrappy only goes so far. And my, for example, so my YouTube channel is just not really even set up yet. So I've got to just pay more to, I've got to get to that. But I also like to do certain things myself that I have to do because they are my personality. So the one that I did, um, just now with Shane Snow, you know, it ends with this quirky thing with these ducks because I didn't know what to do for the end. And I said, well, at least the company got their ducks in a row. So I did a video <laughs> of like plastic ducks with purple, <laughs> with, like they got like sunglasses on them, just like really goofy stuff. So I don't know that I could outsource that. Right. So I just have so much fun with it that it doesn't feel like work. So, so you I don't, do what's I fun. Do you do what feels good. Because yeah. it's a money show, but it's a light money show. The stories are always happy or happy endings. There's always, there's an upbeat tone to them and the videos have to reflect that. They have to be a little bit silly, a little bit goofy, have a teaser so people can learn. Yours was, I loved yours and I pulled video, I pulled some, I think I pulled some shots off Instagram of you You doing your social media, but then there's a lesson, you know, learn Carrie's social media success secrets, you know, listen to the podcast. There's always a promise. It's it's a promise for the podcast, which gets people to want to listen. Exactly. You have such a good understanding of your own brand. You know what works, what doesn't. You're able to articulate it. Any tips around building a personal brand online that which you're currently doing so, so well? Thank you so much. Well, first of all, always be ready to pivot because you do have to adjust. For example, I'm now pivoting my author page online is going to become a podcast page soon. So we're working on moving and there there will be a financial grown-up page rather than just Bobby Rebel. So I think it's important to always be moving and not just leave things static. Um, I also think consistency is a really big deal. So even though we're moving, we're going to stick with the same brand colors, very much the same fonts, et cetera. And what I hear from people is that they know when they see my, my cartoons, they know my promos, they start in a very consistent way, even though sometimes they veer off in different directions, you know, when you're looking at a financial grown up graphic or a financial grown up promo. So that consistency, I think, is very important, even within the creativity and even the time. Like my podcast, I'm really trying to stick to about 15 minutes. And I, they come out every Monday, Friday, every Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Even if I'm busy, I'm doing other stuff. I'm really trying to be and I am consistent. It's so much Monday, Wednesday, Friday. It's amazing that you're putting out that much content. Well, you know, it's so funny you say that, Carrie, because when I left Broiders, 
the expectation they were pushing me to, and I wasn't achieving it, was they wanted six pieces of content a day. Wow. So I it doesn't know. feel like a lot to you it because you like come from the TV I mean, world. it is a lot because I have other things. Because right now, the podcast, I've had sponsorships, but my primary income is through, um, I still do TV anchoring. I'm doing some work with brands, which have been, I have the best, I work with such great brands. I've been so fortunate. And and also, um, you know, I'm a personal finance expert. So that's only part of my universe. It just takes up a disproportionate amount of time, but it's not the biggest income stream for now. And it's also ties in together because my agent can make a deal and he can say to a brand, well, she'll do this many social media posts. She will uh, be your spokesperson for the survey coming out and you can sponsor X number of podcasts. So it gets That's amazing. Together. So it's not so it's an I'm additional not, value add. It's not an isolated, it's not exactly. an isolated re main revenue stream. It's I'm more of an, to, yeah, right. Yeah. They're buying yes. me and my brand and the value that I add and my um, image, what I stand for, not necessarily the literal number of downloads. I love it. And I also love, and of course, this is because this is part of your brand too, how candidly you talk about what monetizes, what doesn't, what's the key driver for you and how, because it really does help give women an idea of what it's really like. I think a lot of times people think, oh, you launch a podcast and you're making gazillions off of that. And, and it, the yeah. reality is it's a much, much more blended approach. And yes. there's a lot of different ways to monetize. And, and you really um, have to dispel that sort of crazy myth that you know every that success is always success in terms of reach is equated into money it's just not always exactly the same well exactly i mean we all have to earn a living and i i will say i am earning more money than i did at reuters but the podcast right now is not a primary income driver Correct. and the same thing with my book i love my book and it's great i got some royalty checks and so that's all good but you know what you spend a lot of money promoting it you spend yep. a lot of time and time is money in fact time is more important because time is limited Money is effectively limitless. You can always earn more money. You can always you earn never, money. You can. You really can. You yep. can. I mean, I'm very scrappy. I mean, I'm the queen of the side hustles. Trust me. So, <laughs> I, I mean, love it. It's true. I mean, tomorrow I'll be, well, tomorrow, but this week I'll be at the NASDAQ doing business updates. That's something that's literally a side hustle for me. I get calls to come in and do business updates. I enjoy doing it. You'll see me on local news, but that's not what I consider my business. My podcast and financial grown-up is my primary business. But if someone's going to pay me X dollars to go in and do something that I love in addition, sure. I love that. And I love how you have such a clear vision of what the uh, financial grown-up brand is. You continue to build on it while having a side hustle, earning lots of other money and bringing it all together into one incredible you. I just, I just so am sweet. always in awe of you. I and know what I, I meant from you. you. It was a love fest. All right. I'm going to head right into the lightning round. I'm going to ask you three quick questions. You're going to answer the first thing that comes out of your mouth. Are you ready? Oh, no. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It doesn't, the answer doesn't even have to be relevant. It's just a word association. Here is the question. If you could use only one social network for the rest of your life, which would you choose? Instagram, because it's happy. Oh, it is a happy place. If you could choose your age forever, what age would you choose? tomorrow's age, whatever I am tomorrow. Cause I think it's important to look forward, right? Oh, I love tomorrow's age. That's a great, I haven't gotten that one before. Really? No, it's so obvious, I love it. Right? It's, it's so obvious. Oh. You just answered it. I don't think I can ever <laughs> ask it again of anyone else. Last question. What is your definition of success? Being on your show, Carrie. 
Oh, I love that. I'm going to give you one bonus question because I see it here and I think it's so relevant to you. What is the worst piece of financial advice that you've ever heard? The worst piece of financial advice that I have heard in my investing world is buy low, sell high, because (gasps) who can do that? You're basically telling people to time the market. And that's terrible advice. The answer is if you have money to invest, invest it. You can dollar average it in if you want, if you want to be cautious. I certainly do that. But buy buy low, sell high. I mean, come on. You're setting people up for failure. Oh my goodness. That's my favorite part of this whole podcast. I love it. Financial advice for me. (laughs) That was was the financial advice that we did in the whole show. Everything that you've ever heard. Toss it out the window. No buy low, sell high. Love it. Bobby, I mean, if you- you're a genius, but unless you got inside right. information, good luck with that. There you go. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're fabulous. Thank Where you for having me. Go? Where do people go? What do you want them to do? Download the podcast. Download the podcast uh, on wherever, but Apple Podcasts is always a good place where you can always write good. reviews, write the reviews, rate the podcast. Great Carrie's podcast too, of course. And of yeah, follow me on social. We talked about Instagram. I'm Bobby Rebel when the number one Twitter, Bobby Rebel. My Facebook, I guess you still call it an author page. I don't know if they call it a podcaster page, but it's just Bobby Rebel. Yeah, and we'll all discuss that. Good stuff. that. Yeah, we'll, do, we'll discuss that as we move forward. I have lots yeah. of ideas for you, but we'll do that okay. over lunch. Bobby, thank you so much for coming on the thank show. Thank you. That was all the social ladies. Don't miss new episodes every week. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And if you like what you heard, please rate and review the show. I'm Carrie Kirpin, CEO of Likeable Media and author of Work It, Secrets for Success from the Boldest Women in Business. Follow me, at Carrie Kirpin, everywhere. And for more social smarts, be sure to follow Likeable, at Likeable Media. Thanks for listening. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.